Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Chunky Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on! From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We rollin'! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes reporting for duty here on a Wednesday night for your Thursday morning delivery. We're excited to talk to you for the next hour or so as we discuss the latest in mix, martial arts, and boxing. Boy, it seems like we've said that maybe every other show during the 2023 calendar, maybe even going back to 2022 or before, between Jake Paul, Nate Diaz. Ben Askren, and now Francis Ngannou. So, yeah, we're doing it. We're doing it, man. It's huge. So we'll talk about that. The big shakeup at UFC 295. Holy cow. John Jones injured. Tom Aspinall versus Sergey Pavlovich. They're booked for the interim title. Stephen Miocic out in the cold. Lots to discuss. All the latest news. We'll be right back to get started. What time did that shit go down, man? Was it like last night at midnight? It was late when Dana White had to hit that uh, record button from his war room and tell us about the big shakeup. It, luckily, he included a video with it. But yeah, John Jones, one of his, uh, I wouldn't say final workouts, but I guess we're getting close. It was November 11th, right? He was wrestling or something. He tore his pectoral muscle. Dana White has already told us he'll probably be out eight months. So he's definitely out of the fight versus Stephen Miocic. And they booked Tom Aspinall versus Sergey Pavlovich to uh, dispute the interim title uh, of the heavyweight division. Now, they're the co-main event, while Yuri Prochaska and Alex Fajeda are the main event because that's for a vacant, undisputed title. So, Ghost, react. Tell me what you think. Uh, I guess one of the first questions that jumps out at me, where the hell's Miocic? Mm-hmm. Man, there's so much to unpack. I mean, yeah, it's unfortunate we're not going to get this fight. It's unfortunate that we don't get to see John Jones because this is a project that was years in the making. We finally got to see him. We only got to see him for seconds, you know? So this was going to be um, maybe a bigger glimpse into what he would be like as a heavyweight. And now we have to wait even longer. So that part sucks. It's unfortunate for John that that happened. It's kind of out of his control. If you watch the video, it's not like there's anything really crazy going on. It could just be that this is just an older dude that has put more mileage on his body. And he's a a bigger guy now, you know. And um, maybe these things are just going to start to happen to him. But... I think where it's really unfortunate is the Stipe Miocic side because we haven't seen Stipe in forever. And when he is not training for a fight, 
I don't know that he's getting in the gym all the time. So I don't know what this does for him. I know the UFC wants to reschedule this fight. But I think in common sense would have said Stipe Miocic now uh, stays on the card and just gets an opponent, whether that's Aspinall or Pavlovich. And the card just moves on, but he's not. You know, he's off the card too. And there's a lot of different ways of looking at this. I'm curious to see what you think about it, George, but I'll just give you my two cents. This is something that I've I've been championing for championing for a long time. And I think this is a mistake that the UFC has made in the sense that they've made it so that their belts no longer mean anything. And this is a perfect example. Because if you're Stipe Miocic, you should be shouting, I want my belt back. I don't care who I have to go through to get it. Because in winning the belt, that's where you make the most money. That's where you have the most prestige. But that's not the case. The case is, eh, I don't really worry too much about the belt. I just want to fight John Jones. That's what's what's bigger to me. It shouldn't be like that in professional sports. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's something. Like, I engaged in some conversation with some of the uh, junkies on Instagram, Twitter. So my point there will be similar to what I tell you without knowing all the details. Oh, first, let me ask you, did you hear that the UFC wants to rebook those two specifically? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where'd you hear that? I thought I read it. Oh, okay. Well, this is how I look at it. If Aspinall fights Pavlovich for the interim, usually the winner gets to unify with the undisputed. That's one thing. And luckily for that guy, he gets bonus points because he's technically a champion. So that's I used to kind of shit on the interim title a little bit, but really it's a way for another guy to sneak in and make some good coin come fight time because technically, again, they, they're a champ, so they get pay-per-view points. So um, with Aspinall and Pavlovich, you know, let's, let's say Aspinall wins. He would now face Jones in eight months when Jones is supposedly ready to come back not Miocic. So that mm-hmm. means Miocic's delay is even further. Which, was he going to retire anyway? Was this just a one and done? Uh, was he going to come back for three fights? Who knows? But Miocic, as of today, is out two years and two and a third years, something like that. Well, no, I said it wrong. Two months and seven. Can you hang on a second? Yeah, sure. Yeah. While George does that, um, it's just, you know, it's very unfortunate that we're even in this situation. But it's one that, could, that couldn't that could be avoided. You know, injury just happens. It's going to happen more at this high level. But I'm curious the way John Jones bounces back from this. You know, we see a lot of these athletes towards the tail end of their career. This is something that really John hasn't had to deal with very much. And a torn pectoral muscle. I don't know. He's so elite that I just feel like any anything that that drops his step a little bit because you gotta you gotta admit like towards the end of his career at light heavyweight, he seemed to kind of slow down a little bit. I'd argue that I think he was just a little bored and maybe didn't take training as serious. But you could you could tell he had maybe lost a little bit of a step. 
and it's not it's not saying that uh he's not a great fighter or anything like that you know gsp kind of started to lose a step a little bit and i think that's why he decided to walk away but who knows how you bounce back from these types of injuries right even henry cejudo you could maybe say man is he, is he the same henry cejudo that we're used to this happens kind of all the way across the board so uh, we'll have to see how old John Jones comes back from that because he's got all the money in the world. He probably doesn't have to do this. And it's at heavyweight where where fighters just don't mess around. And the two guys that are fighting right here that uh, George alluded to, Tom Aspinall and Sergey Pav- Pavlovich, uh, those guys ain't no joke. You know, that's the future of that division. Both guys seem to just be improving with every fight. These are scary, scary guys to to fight for John Jones. And luckily, you know, he'll probably only have to end up fighting one because it seems like he's kind of at the tail end of his career as well. But if he had to fight both, that, that would be rough, man. That would be rough because re- I'm really high on both of these fighters. And I think this is where we're going to kind of figure out when we hear people breaking down this fight between Aspinall and Pavlovich. It's about as close as it comes. I mean, the, if even if you look at the odds, it's like it's right there, man. It's it's almost a pick 'em. I'm early lean Pavlovich in this one, but uh, I think I'm going to stick with that, and I think I'm going to stick with that to the fight. But it's such a close fight, and I think John Jones would dodge a bullet and not having to face them both. But boy, if he ended his career fighting Stipe Miocic, taking out Stipe Miocic, and then taking out these two cats, whew, I don't know how you could ever argue that level of greatness, right? I mean, that's just something that uh, even years from now would be very, very hard to replicate. Because at that point, you could say he did it in both divisions. Now, another thing, another little mini storyline that's going on outside of all of us when you think about it is francis Ngannou too right he's got a fight this weekend and it's in boxing but who knows what happens in that right if he gets absolutely destroyed by tyson fury does he come back as the same fighter when he decides to fight mixed martial arts over at the pfl and even then he's in the pfl john jones is in the ufc now we've seen weirder things i mean talk about weird just think about what we're, we're discussing this weekend right he's in a boxing match against the one of the greatest boxers of all time in tyson fury in the heavyweight division i guess if you can get that weird then maybe you could ever get as weird as a a ufc pfl thing to kind of decide who is top dog i don't know but john jones uh i'm pretty sure he's bouncing back from this and i'm sure we're going to get one more out of him I don't know that we're going to get a lot more out of him. And that's a guy that I think the UFC is going to miss. Now, every time we say that, we tend to just forget, right? These guys just get replaced by that new crop of fighter, and here we go again. It's a new dance. You know, we're saying that about Pavlovich and Aspinall here in this situation. Uh, Those are two fighters that they're going to be around for a while, you know, and those are going to be the big names, and who knows? What you get out of Pavlovich, you know, you had a guy like Fedor Emelianenko, who for so long 
just ran pride. And the guy didn't speak, speak a, a lick of English or Japanese, but we freaking loved him, right? Um, or sorry, uh, Pavlovich is just, I find him to be charming. I, I think he's kind of, I think he's connecting a little bit with the fans, and I think Aspinall is as well. So, I mean, this is kind of the future of the heavyweight division. It's a really, really big fight. But overall, talk about, like, I don't know that I can remember a time. I know the UFC goes through these little periods where these types of fights just shit happens, right? One after another. But I can't remember it happening to this magnitude back to back like this. Like, holy crap. And when you think about it, like the uh, the fix-it plan has been pretty money, right? What the UFC was able to deliver in the last card and then their way of fixing things here, it's pretty legit. What happened to you? Comment section. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, I had a medical emergency. Uh-oh. I apologize. Yeah. You did or someone else? Huh? You did or somebody else? Me. Yeah. Oh. All right. Um, okay. I will kind of, I think I remember where I left off. Mm-hmm. I was talking about Miocic. He hasn't fought in just under three years. It's like two years and eight months, I think. So then this fight happens. And then the winner of Aspinall Pavlovich fights Jones. Dana White said eight months. So eight months would be. I believe June. And then after that, Miocic would then come back, which would put him at just under four years. So is he retiring, waiting for Jones? What was going to happen anyway? Was he going to come, retire then? I mean, he's 41, mm-hmm. right? And he's been gone a long time. Um, what if the, what if Jones versus Aspinall is a classic and they got to run it back? You know, I have to cover all the bases here. I know they say the same shit all the time. That's just kind of what happens. I don't know. I, I, I wonder what Miocic felt about declining the fight. He already had a camp, which means that costs money, you know, because you got to kind of pay your coaches and all that. He's not going to get paid in November, and usually the challenger makes five hundred grand base. And then Miocic, because he's a former champ, I could see him getting some sort of a bonus, whether it's a small pay-per-view cut or something that would put him at least at a million. He's not getting that. So I don't know. I'm kind of tripping about that a little bit. You know, like what happened there? Now, did the UFC do a good job in putting the other two together? Sure. But I always felt like I wanted to see – Miocic versus Jones, Aspinall versus Jones, and Pavlovich versus Jones. And probably, honestly, I thought Pavlovich deserved it the most, to be honest. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've gotten over that when they made this this Miocic-Jones uh, fight already. So, I don't know, man. I, I just, I don't know how to unpack all this. I'm really, really frustrated, I guess, at the turn of events. But again, the UFC, with two weeks ago, was dealt a shitty hand, and they came up with Aspinall versus Pavlovich. I guess I'll take it. You know, I remember JDS and Kane. We we wanted, you know, we wanted opponents for Brock. I think it was at the time. I can't remember. And they faced those two off, and we were like, "Oh man, you're gonna kill one one of them off," you know. But but they waited they a both, good time for that. I think they, they both wound up being champs. They both wound up having great careers, so it worked out. They had their trilogy, but 
in this case, you know, I don't know. Now, just because I brought it up, I do have some odds. Some odds have come out on that. Tom Aspinall is a slight favorite over Sergei Pavlovich. Uh, according to DraftKings, Aspinall is minus 130. So 130 to win 100. Pavlovich is one ten, plus 110. 100 to win plus uh, to win 110. So it's not much, right? But he is the favorite. So again, the winner will get pay-per-view points and he'll get the inside track to face John Jones. Here's another thing. And this is me probably being a jerk. If you're a UFC nut hugger, you're not going to like what I got, what I have to say. And if you're a UFC hater, then you're probably going to be fist bumping me. But it's funny how, I mean, I guess the pectoral injury is probably not as serious as the labrum or the Achilles heel. But you notice when uh, Prochaska got hurt, it's like, he vacated. That's it. We're moving on. Uh, we'll be ready for him when he comes back. Which, to their credit, this this is his main event coming up. And when what's his face towards Achilles heel, Jamal Hill, he's out, vacated. Yeah, that's it. We move on, you know. Um, and now with Jones, it was like, no, 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 no. We're, we'll hang on to Jones. He's gonna stay champ. Uh, eight months is the injury, and we got Aspinall versus Pablo. It's funny how he's kind of the big enough name where we're willing to preserve his little spot and go the interim route. Whereas with the other two, it was like, get the fuck out of the way. You know, we gotta fill this vacancy. Goddamn it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think Jamal kind of – I think he was the one that that started that, right? That was kind of his move from what I heard. Maybe. But I, I don't know that any chance just willing to go take it, but I'm sure if they come to you, you might go, oh, oh all right, all right. I guess that's what happened to me. But yeah, I don't know that any champ picks up the phone and says, guess what? I tore my Achilles. It's going to be a year. Come on. You know, like Ferguson, he tore his ACL, and he came back in five months. So did Jer- Jerry Rice. Those guys were incredible in their rehab. Um, Jerry Rice, the football player, has been retired for a few years, in case you're, if you're a young listener. But remarkable recovery time. So, I don't know. That's just me making a dumb, I mean, not a dumb point, but just an observation, you know, that maybe it was a difference of the Achilles and the torn labrum. I guess they are a little closer to you a year than, than the torn pectoral. Mm-hmm. But let's... Let's remember this. Let's remember when Jones comes back and see if it is it really is eight months or if it'll be closer to a year. But, you know, the difference in the way that part was handled. Well, I'm, I'm curious to see what exactly happens when uh, when he does come back. Because, you know, you were talking about, like, that best-case scenario where you, we get to see him bite all of these guys. I don't think that's going to happen. I think John maybe has one more in him, two at the most. You know, and he he kind of gets the luxury of not having to fight Pavlovich and Aspinall. You know, one of them's going to go, and that's going to benefit him. Mm-hmm. Because think about how amazing it would be to go up another division, especially heavyweight, right? So much weight. Beats a real gone, and then let's just say he would have fought Stipe, and then beat the other two. Like, how do you even argue that? How do you argue this guy not being the greatest of all time if he pulled something off like that? And I can't even see anybody remotely getting close to dethroning that argument. I mean, you're gonna have, we're gonna need a real special um, individual in mixed martial arts to, to ever do something like that. But I think John, I, man, if I had to guess, I think he's got one more in him, maybe two at the most. But he's getting older, and you know who knows how he bounces back from an injury like this. Mm-hmm. Well, if Jones were to have beaten Miocic, that would be one 
title defense. Mm-hmm. And then let's just say he beats Pavlovich and Aspinall. Then now he would equal. Let me make sure here. I think Miocic had four title defenses. I apologize. For some reason, I thought he only had three, but it looks like it was four. Good night. And, uh, but I don't know. Like, like you said, I don't know if Jones has enough in him to hang out that long. He's not an old heavyweight because he's only 36, right? Heavyweights mm-hmm. fight into their 40s. We just finished saying Miocic is 41. But he's got wear and tear. He started young, and he's been in some big fights. But to answer your question goes, if he somehow stuck around long enough to tie Miocic, he'd be the greatest heavyweight ever, unless you want to bring up the Fado argument. I don't know. And he'd be the heavy, the greatest light heavyweight ever. He's already kind of the greatest ever. But what he would do goes is he might put these records or this mythical figure of John Jones in some echelon that would be maybe untouchable for the next 25 years. Right. Like you said, somebody would have to come along and no disrespect. I think it'd have to be like a women's featherweight, like a cyborg kind of, who's just bigger than everyone else and a physical specimen. And there's just not enough great featherweights to challenge her and just thump them for 10 years straight to get to, you know, champion status title defense status, and then find another weight class to duplicate it yet again. Um, Mm. Maybe there'd have to be a fighter where that um, if they won three titles in three different weight classes, somehow stayed undefeated, didn't match in title defenses, or if they did take a loss, they avenged it, but you get the three title, three weight classes, then maybe you can get in that conversation. But this guy, man, this is pretty special with what he's done. Now, if Miosic smashed him or just beat him, I guess, then he'd kind of kind of come back to the playing field with, with the others, you know, where mm-hmm. where they all, you know, a few guys won two titles, the, the, the title defenses were matched or whatever. He'd probably come back to GSP's world, GSP's world, I guess. But we're not there, you know. This is still a year away, if that. We wish him the best. I thought Francis Ngannou had a cool quote. He goes, hey, this is bad news. He goes, we don't, we don't wish anyone to get injured mike bonds out in uh riyadh saudi arabia and he asked him that question i thought he had a great answer to it because he posed the question as hey look you know if this was the situation you were in i mean how frustrated would you be um having passed over a possible boxing match the bag that comes with it to fight john jones and then he gets hurt and of course we don't know how the world writes itself or how things play out, uh, if in fact that happens. But Ngannou was classy, I guess is the point. And uh, it's complicated. It sucks. But again, I want to applaud the UFC for coming up with Aspinall versus Pavlovich on late notice. You know, it's a co-main event. Yeah, no, I mean, they did their their jobs there. And I do want to give props to, to Francis because that's like what we're used to in other sports. You know, for those of you who are just mixed martial arts fans, maybe you won't get this. But in other sports, there is this kind of camaraderie. Even though these guys are, are playing against each other every year, um, there's not that many feuds on a weekly basis. You know, usually people are happy for other other players. 
And that, that's a great attitude to take, especially when you consider he's a guy that that probably has uh, uh, the, the biggest chip on his shoulder, right? People are always coming at him, you know, saying he's not good enough. He's not this. He's not that. I mean, even John Jones has done it. So he had every right to maybe give some kind of snide comment, but he hung true to what he what he was saying and uh, and what he believes in, and, and that's great. And you know, some people will probably say, "Well, I'd be like that too if I knew I was about to fight Tyson Fury um, coming up." You know, thinking maybe you could smile for about a week, you know, before people are making fun of you again. But we'll see. I don't know. That fight's coming up soon here. It is. Uh, October 28th, right? So we're just this a few days away from Fury versus Ngannou. And since we've brought his name up, let's talk about that fight. By the way, I think I saw Fury at minus 1,500. Ngannou at plus 800. They're going 10 rounds, folks. Uh, usually with 10-ounce gloves. And Teddy Atlas kind of did an interesting breakdown of why he thought Ngannou has a better shot than people are giving him to and now look, I'll preface this by saying if my house depended on it, if my life depended on it, I mean, of course I'm going to take Tyson Fury in a boxing match. Give me a break, right? No disrespect to Big Fran, Extreme, the guys. Uh, that's just the reality of it. These are two different sports, and that guy's a master of the sweet science, Tyson Fury. Fucking like 30-0-1 or something. I mean, he's a G, right? Mm-hmm. Um proper boxing heavyweights who have dedicated their whole lives haven't been able to give this guy an L. But this is unlike Mayweather and McGregor in that uh, they're just they're heavier punchers, right? And I think Nganu had a more formidable boxing background than McGregor. He actually came up through boxing, switched to MMA, and now he's back in boxing. Now his early boxing career wasn't this incredible record of 200 wins and no losses and amateurs, uh, Olympics, nothing. No, 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 not, nothing like that. But it was his first love. He has some. Fun, he had some fundamentals to go back to. And and again, the puncher's chance. So, what I am going to say though goes is after hearing from Teddy Atlas, um, and because of everything I just stated. I'm not giving this guy the. I'm not calling it 99.99 and you know Fury and and Ganu. It's just this wild haymaker. No, you know what? I'm going to give him a five percent chance, man. Which isn't that much more, but still, I just think I'm going to give him a a better chance than most. Um, I don't know. I just something in my stomach uh, tells me that this might have a few moments, compelling moments, and then if Fury smashes him, he smashes him, but. I just don't think it's going to be ridiculous like fucking Dennis and Paul the other day. You know, if I don't know if you saw much of of what they look like. Tyson looks a little flabby. He doesn't look the way he normally looks in a big fight. So, and and granted, you know, he's not an Adonis even if he's out there fighting Deontay Wilder or someone like that, right? He, mm-hmm. He's not a cut-up heavyweight, but he just looks it looked a little lazy, a little fat. Um, I would, yeah, maybe five, ten at the most. Because really, when you think about all of the things that need to happen for Francis to win the fight, it just really, really is a lot. You're hoping Tyson Fury has an off night. And you mm-hmm. mix that 
with, you know, the unpredictability of, a, of an MMA fighter. Like, that's the thing is Francis Ngannou is going to be wearing boxing gloves, but he still needs to go out there with a little bit of an MMA mentality in this fight. Because I think that's confusing to a boxer. It's it's just a little strange. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that, uh, you know, there's like, a, I'll give you an example. In baseball, there's certain pitchers who have come in and like their first couple of years have given batters all kinds of fit. It's not that they throw the, the ball that much better. Uh, they don't throw it that much faster. Their location isn't that much greater. A lot of it comes down to their windup. You know, Hideo Nomo was was one of those. The windup was what everybody got confused with and had problems hitting his pitches. You can do something similar here in boxing. You know, where the punches are being thrown from, the stances that they're coming from. That can be confusing for a boxer who's used to everybody else having somewhat a similar technique to them. I think that's what Francis has to use to his advantage. And the difference here is, you know, that could happen in, in Mayweather-McGregor, but McGregor doesn't carry the power that, you know, the heavyweights do. So uh, if Francis does connect, like say with the uppercut that, that McGregor landed on Floyd, well, there's a lot more trouble behind that, right? Mm-hmm. Heavyweight. So that's what kind of makes things a little compelling. It, it'll be interesting, but uh, realistically, Behind a really good jab and, and counter punches, Tyson Fury should just have his way with Francis Ngannou. You're right. He did look heavier, not only a month ago when they had the press conference, but even in watching him now, he still looks a little bit heavier. And Teddy Atlas made a couple of the points that you just brought up. One, did he really give the most honest camp? So are we seeing the best Tyson Fury? Or are we seeing maybe 75% of the Tyson Fury that we've seen in previous fights or at his best, right? That's one thing. Two, the unorthodox punches that um, Francis is capable of throwing through his knowledge of the sweet science early on, the work he's probably put in in the last three to six months, and then obviously what he's learned in uh, MMA. I'm sure there might be a few things that just might be unexpected for Tyson Fury. So, you know, you put that all in a bottle, shake it up, I just think you have more than that 1% chance, maybe a 5%, 10% chance, which, again, isn't enough to me to put my house on on Nganu. No. I think I may even made a joke. If you put 25 bucks on Nganu and he wins, he wins 200 So guess what? I'm going to back the MMA guy, the extreme couture guy, with 25 bucks. And if he wins, 200 bucks. And guess what Guess what? I'm going to do with that? I'll buy some Manchester United gear. Uh, just like fellow Man United fan, Tyson Fury. So um, I just think that's the more funner route. And and like I say, I just I, I think oh, I think Fury's overlooking him. Fury's always been confident. He's been doing his interviews. I think he's always been confident. But, you know, it, it, what's weird about saying all this is this. I'm realistic, folks. I realized that just a week ago we were saying, do you think Alexander Volkanovsky on 12 days traveling, you know, on a away game, right, to Abu Dhabi has a chance when with a full camp in his home country of Australia, he wasn't able to beat him. I actually said that, right, because the odds were stacked against him and the odds are stacked against Francis Ngannou. But again, the dumb dude, 
I remember Randy Couture was slowly dismantling Brock Lesnar. He wasn't far into the dismantling, but he was just doing a few things. And then all of a sudden, Lesnar just landed one of them lunch pill hands that he has behind the ear. It just looked like a sloppy punch, but it landed behind the ear, and it wobbled Randy, and that was the beginning of the end. And I'm not saying that Francis Ngannou maybe can't do something like that either. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, if you guys want information on it, it's this Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern. Remember, they're in Riyadh, South Saudi Arabia. And you can order the pay-per-view on ESPN Plus just like you do your UFC pay-per-views, right? So 2 p.m. Eastern is 11 a.m. Pacific. Because of the time change, that's why it's an early afternoon affair. And uh, there is no official belt because Fury is a world champion, but he's not putting up his belt for this fight. But they have created, um, they have created a special belt for this encounter. But it won't be the WEC heavyweight title that he holds. It's just 10, uh, 10 rounds, and that's it. And and honestly, I think Fury's already got Alexander Usage signed for like December. He's already looking ahead to his real boxing match, I guess. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, uh, I think this is a good one to roll the dice on. And if you have the extra money, grab it. I think that's what Goza and I are going to decide to do is grab it and just root on for the extreme fellow Extreme Couture guy. Yeah, it's, I mean, if anything, man, like, think about all the stupid things you've spent that kind of money on. This is, uh, this really is, like, a piece of history. You're, you're. You may never see something like this again. The top dog in MMA against the top dog in boxing. Uh, you definitely won't see it on our side. You know, you won't see the boxer come over. Canelo Alvarez isn't going to just all of a sudden jump into the cage. So, um, I think it's just it'll be fun, man. It, it, it will. And if you want to check out that article again, it's in the prime spot. Danny Segura wrote it up. Uh, he took a listen to Teddy Atlas's podcast, and he, he had some nice details in it. Check it out. It's on the front page of MMAJunkie.com, uh, as well as a nice compilation of Francis Ngannou's 10 Greatest Knockouts by Dan Tom. And we also have the number 19, 30 Greatest Fighter in the History of UFC, compiled by the, U- the uh, MMA Junkie staff. So check that out. Today, we unleashed Max Holloway at number 19. And just to give you a quick um, recap, Dustin Poirier came in at number 30, Frank Shamrock, number 29, Francis Ngannou, number 28, Joanna Jacek, number 27, Frankie Edgar, number 26, Tito Ortiz, number 25, King Velasquez, number 24, Dominic Cruz, number 23, Valentina Shevchenko. 22 Matt Hughes 21 Ronda Rousey 20 Max Holloway 19 so we're in the teens now and goes by the way has compiled I think what is it your 30 greatest dishes goes or you think the great 30 greatest dishes that can be served on the planet what what are you doing right now I don't even really know to me it's the 30 greatest dishes of all time Mm -hmm. but I guess it's a it's a mixture of obviously foods that I think are great. And then some of them I don't think are like that great, but they're so popular uh, that they have to be on the list, you know, in certain, and I'll run through that so, really quick. So far. Well, we'll your number, yeah. Yeah. Run through it, I guess. I'm going to ask you what 30, your number 19 is, but tell us what your, what it is. 
Number 30 is ropa vieja. It's a Cuban dish. Uh, number, number 29. Huh? Have you ever made it? Do you know how to make that? I haven't made it in a really long time, but I have made it before. Okay. Um, chicken tikka masala. It's an Indian dish. It's number 29. Number 28, I had wings, chicken wings. The reason why I put it so so high on the list. Well, that's why I have it. I have it up here. Because to me, wings, sandwiches, and soups are going to be higher on this list because they're kind of like appetizers. You know, wings have kind of become more of a proper meal in the last couple years, but uh, nobody really—they're not main eventing, right? Like you're not full after one of these. So they come in at twenty-eight. Twenty-seven is a Thai dish, patsy u. Number twenty-six is fish and chips. The UK is represented. Number twenty-five chips. Okay, ramen. Uh, ramen's pretty legit. Number twenty-four. You mean that stuff the kids eat in college? No, not top ramen. Like proper oh. ramen. Okay. Uh, twenty-four is a lobster roll. Uh, twenty-three chicken parmesan. Twenty-two is paella. Goes. Yeah. I've been peeking. Wasn't it? I've been peeking and following along. I thought it was lobster bisque, or was it a lobster roll? Lobster or is that the same thing? Or sorry, lobster roll. And then now, so 20 was paella. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, 22 was paella. 21 was lobster bisque. And that mm-hmm. was uh, yesterday. And then today, number 20 was lomo saltado, which is a Peruvian dish. And that's mm. where we're at. How was that one received? Has, uh, have people indulged in Peruvian cuisine? I know this, is, this has been mostly through the junkie staff right or have you been putting it on social other social media no no yeah this is just a a thing we've been doing on our little slack channel Uh, it was Mm -hmm. funny because the first three messages were kind of like i've never even heard of this it looks good but i don't know what it is and then danny segura came in with like a shotgun and just let people have it like you got to get on this and uh simon as well he's had peruvian food so he knew what it was all about hmm all right well, I can't wait to hear from, we're at 19, right? Tomorrow will be number 19, yeah. Yeah, by the time we do the show uh, on Monday or Sunday night, we'll probably be around the 15th, so you'll have four more to give us. Good stuff. All right. <laughs> Let's continue on here with uh, some news. Jake Paul says, no boxing rematch against Nate Diaz. He says PFL has a fight offer on the table. The problem is though goes Diaz is kind of like, "Hey, I'm team USC, uh, UFC and I ain't doing that." He wants to box again. And I think I know the genesis of this. I think Diaz realizes, "Holy cow, I could have beat this guy." But because he likes to clown around, and who knows if he gave the most honest camp, you know, he's in this he's in this predicament. But we know Jake Paul ain't going to the UFC. I mean, I guess he could talk to PFL and say, hey, would you let me go and represent PFL? But I just don't see that happening. And it doesn't look like Nate Diaz wants to do anything with the PFL unless they can give him a lot of money and say, we won't tie you down other than for this one fight, and that'll be that. Who knows? But it's out there. Uh, figured I'd talk about it. You interested at all? Um, you know, believe it or not, I don't know if interested is the word, but I, I would 
I would go for another round because the way you you summed it up was perfect. I feel like it was a lot closer than what I thought it was going to be. And I do feel like if maybe Nate Diaz took it a little bit more serious, we might we might have had a victory there for, for Team MMA. Now, that being said, a guy like Jake Paul is a guy that takes the sport serious. And I think he is relatively trying to get better every fight. And he's got father time on his side, right? Nate Diaz, every time he has one of these, um, I don't know how often he's in the gym preparing for this type of stuff. So who knows what a second fight would look like. But I, I would be pretty down with it. I, I think I'd order it. Yeah, I guess I'd split it with you because I really don't want to just give them 80 bucks. Right. Um, They're big names. It's fun to see one guy get his ass kicked. And in this case, I want jake paul to get his ass kicked although i am a jake paul fan he kind of entertains me so he's truly won me over but uh i'm always team mma and i think him coming to mma is a waste although it would be nice for an mma guy to blast a boxer just to every once in a while get that pleasure mostly it's our our guys going that way do we but really support though like wouldn't wouldn't the boxing world go that ain't our guy some I've seen a lot of fighters like Tyson and I think Teddy Atlas kind of give him his flowers because mm-hmm. he actually put some money in pockets for like Amanda Serrano and a few other fighters by including them in their cards and he brought eyeballs and he put in the work. I think boxers know that he's not a real boxer in the sense that he's not a world class guy, but he does put in the work and go out there. Whereas you know, there's some other boxing matches where it's just it just looks like two guys with pillows just swinging at each other, you know, in a college dorm room, like the equivalent of. Whereas with Jake Paul, he you know, he surrounds himself with decent training partners, good coaches, and just gives it his best. But so I think there's a little bit of respect there. So I, I don't know, maybe some guys might say, Yeah, that's our guy, and others might turn their back. Who knows? Um Sean Strickland says, Hamza Shemayev doesn't fucking deserve title shot after the Usman win. I kind of agree with him. You know, I was doing the rankings this week, and Shemayev goes, he only has won four fights as a middleweight. Two of them are like over three years old, two of those wins. The most recent ones are one that fell into his lap when he didn't make weight, and Kevin Holland got switched to be his opponent, and it was at a catch weight of 180. So technically, it is a middleweight bout, but it wasn't booked as a middleweight bout. And both him and Holland are more renowned as welterweights, but that's one. And then the other one is him versus Usman. Again, 10, 12-day notice. Usman debuting as a middleweight. That's just not the resume, man, of a of a title challenger, you know? Now, I know Cannoneer towards MCL. Unfortunate, he's out of the fight with Roman Delice, and he's probably out of any fight at this point. But if Drikas Dufasi is ready to go, that's the guy that deserves it. It should be him versus Sean Strickland. And if Shemayev can maybe win one more, just go out there and beat one fucking real middleweight, dude. You know, a top guy. And then I'm all over it. I get it. I get it. Shemayev's a stud. I get it. I mean, but what's right is right. Yeah, I think even for the UFC, that that one might be a tough sell. Uh, had he come in, and if that fight ended in round one with Kamaru Usman, the way it was going, maybe you could still sell that. You know, I could, I could see everybody going, all right, look, man, we get it. The UFC's bad at Drikas. Uh, these guys stepped in. All right. But the way the fight played out, it, he really just didn't do himself any favors. And honestly, George, I just feel like, 
one more fight ain't gonna hurt him. You know, he's gotta he's gotta solve yeah. the cardio issues. He's gotta figure that out. A fight night. Go five rounds with someone mm-hmm. on a fight night. Train for that and see how that goes. And tick that box. And I, I now that you remind me, I'm still tripping how the UFC's tripping on Drikas. Hey, you just won against the former champion, cleaned his clock. We brought in Izzy, who put, really really put him in an uncomfortable spot to build a fight. Okay, Drikas hung in there with him and then just turned his back. And But there was really no discussion like, it, by the way, it's you flying to Australia or anything. I think we were all thinking Whitaker was going to win. But that's not easy, man, to win on July 10th, that was, or 8th. You know, win, decompress, fly to South Africa, which I think it's, I think it goes like five hours to Atlanta and then like 12 to South Africa. All those, uh, jet lag and the time difference right and then you do a camp and then somehow on september what was it they fought september 10th now you gotta fly to australia and fight there i mean you're not even giving them that guy the actual two months for the biggest fight of his life and why why are you just all of a sudden not believing him when you believe other people have injuries and can't go or whatever this guy you know says his foot is hurt or whatever i don't know what the UFC's lucky in that the pace that they keep, some of these stories just get buried. But then all of a sudden, when they get back, get back brought up, you know, I'm like, God damn, I remember all that bullshit. Like, I thought DDP kind of got shafted there. Oh, yeah, for sure. Totally did. But, uh, you know, God, that's just something the UFC does, man. I mean, think about it. Why Why aren't they mad at that Shemayev who didn't make weight and caused all that little, remember that switcheroo with... Uh, who was it? Lee Jing Liang, Daniel Rodriguez, Tony Ferguson. I mean, that was a whole mess too, caused by Hamza Shemaya. Where's his doghouse? You know, I guess maybe it was he was in the doghouse for the last few months. He didn't fight for over a year. He's younger, but... he's more marketable. That's just all that matters to him. Brutal, man. Brutal how the UFC can act the way they do. Um, what we don't know, and I'll always give them this is how them phone calls go. I wish they would release transcripts sometimes because if DDP was a, a little twat and says, well, well, okay, you really want me to go around the world, pay me $5 million, you know, or just something ridiculous, then I, you know, then I guess you start to side maybe with the promotion. Who knows? Who knows how those conversations go? But on paper, I just see a guy that had less than two months and if he couldn't go, he couldn't go. You've taken other guys at their word when they can't go. Why? Why? punish this guy but that should be the fight Shamayev should take another one I think it would be good for Shamayev as well he just isn't a strong fighter after a round and a half it would serve him well mm-hmm. but anyway there's some other news to discuss um, Volkanovsky goes says I will fight in January against Ilya Teforia I mean look I can appreciate the way he wants to keep a high pace a high volume of fights you know every year that he's basically at the top. I really can't appreciate it. I'm a Volkanovski fan, but I don't know, man. You know, that was quite a shin he took to the head. Um, You know, his he needs to listen to his own advice. It's almost like he was talking to himself at the press conference, realizing that emotional Alex Volkanovski 
went for the gold, right? And the glory, and it blew up in his face. But, you know, he just decided to pull the trigger. And here he has a chance to maybe learn from that mistake and just space it out and give himself maybe another couple months to really properly recover from this KO, rest through the holidays, and then come back like a lion against Toporia. You know, just just delay it two months, fight in March in Vegas or something. It's funny you bring that up because often, we'll peek behind the curtain, uh, for those of you who don't know, George and I are brothers, and when we battle with our 80-year-old mother, the one line that's kind of the, almost the crane kick, because it can't be defended, is when when she's trying to not act her age, we tell her, well, what would you tell your mom You know, if you were in our situation? And she kind of says, all right, I get it. You almost want to throw that line back at Alexander Volkanovsky, a guy who was a coach on The Ultimate Fighter, right? He had a lot of people that needed to look up to him for advice and and uh, words of wisdom. You would almost say, well, what would you tell the other fighters that would be in this situation? Would you tell them, go out there and get a fight as soon as you can? Or would you tell them to rest the brain, right? That is probably something. Now, look, you don't want to take our, our advice. I get it. You know, maybe... I understand that point of view, but look, a guy who might be the GOAT in combat sports, Henry Cejudo, he just said pretty much the same thing, man. You, you just got to sit back and and really focus on uh, on resting, resting that brain. I just don't get it. I, I understand where he's coming from, but at some point, somebody needs to save you from yourself. I, I don't... I don't, I don't want him to go through a sharp decline like that, you know, and that could definitely happen. Back-to-back losses, even knockout losses. A guy like Tapuria who really just, he's, he swings for the fences, but he's calculated with the way he does it. That's a dangerous mm. opponent, man. You got to take that guy serious. I agree. And we're not asking for much, but it just seems like January is such a rush, man. Um, it would be under three months which, again, is way better than 10 or 12 days. It would be at his weight class, but he is coming off a KO and more than likely a concussion. I don't know to what degree. I don't know to what severity. I don't know about headaches. I don't know about that. But all I know is that when you get clipped like that, you know, it's not easy. Again, here's the other side. The other side will be, well, how about Alex Fajeda? He got knocked out by, who was it, Uh, Israel Adesanya in April, and then he nutted up and fought Jan Blahovich, I think it was in August, and he won. You know, he won a split decision, and now he's in a position to fight Yuri Petroska for yet another title because he did gamble on himself. Sure, there's always good sides. There's always other sides to the argument. We present them. You guys decide as an audience what you like. Um, but I just think history shows there's more on the side of uh, resting a little bit more and then coming back at closer to 100% versus the rush job is all we're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is a, a brutal sport. Things can change just like that overnight. And, and it's not to say that we don't think Alexander Volkanovsky can't just walk in there and, and do what he always does. Like, yeah, of course, it's, that's a possibility. You could definitely do that. But uh, you don't have to do that tomorrow. You know, you have the liberty. You just did the UFC a big favor. You have the liberty of maybe stretching this out a little bit. I think it's to your advantage if, if I were in Ilya Tapuria's camp, hearing those words from him would be music to my ears. Hell yeah. We got him off another camp 
I mean, granted, it wasn't really a camp, but he still went through something. He went through a weight cut, and he got KO'd, and he's willing to just jump right into the fire again. That's great news for Ilya Tapuria. Yeah, indeed. And in fact, I wonder if Israel Adesanya could big brother him, put his arm around him and go, listen, this is the deal. Because Israel Adesanya has kept up a high pace of, of fights, high volume of fights in the last few years. And against Sean Strickland, it just looked like he hit a wall. I don't want to take anything away from Strickland. He rose up to the occasion. He smashed him. He knocked him down, everything. So no one's claiming that. But there is just something to say for eventually, you know, you are mentally fatigued, physically fatigued, and if things don't go your way early on in the fight, you might just break in a way. And I think that's what happened to Israel Adesanya. And like you said, there could be a sharp decline. You know, Israel now is saying, I'm going to take a lot of time off, then come back. Um, but he was so confident going into that Strickland fight, and he got he got waxed. I mean, it wasn't even close. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that plays out. And... Uh, let me now pivot to Islam Akashev, the server of that concussion of Alex Volkanovsky. Daniel Cormier came out and said he's now the number one fighter in MMA. Well, I happened to do the rankings for this past week, and I moved Makashev from number six to number two. I couldn't put him past Jones. Look, guys, I got, you know, the Russians come at you hard, right? And YouTube was not as friendly during spinning back clicks, some of the comments. Uh, I guess I might have misspoken and said Islam Makashev doesn't fight very often, and they correctly pointed out that he's fought twice in 23, twice in 22, three times in 21, which is not bad. Some fights in three years, I get it. I think I may have rephrased, I, I, I should have said something else. What Makashev hasn't done is high, fought the highest caliber of athletes in his own weight class. Four of his last fights are a featherweight twice, and Bobby Green and Dan Hooker, who are not top 10 fighters. His only top 10, top five win is Charles Oliveira. And yet some people are putting him in the same sentence as Habib. Some people want him ahead of Jones. Some people are saying he's headed for the greatest fighter of all time. Tap the fucking brakes, everybody. We did it with Usman. We did it with Woodley. Uh, Adesanya a little bit. I'm sick and tired of people jumping the gun. You don't have to match them. All right, it's tougher nowadays. Your nine title defenses might be better than someone who did it years ago, 20 years ago, and had 11. I get it. But this guy's only had two title defenses against the same guy. One guy on 10, 12 days notice, and he was a featherweight, right? Now, I also said that as good as Volkanovski fought the other day, he almost looked like he was the second best lightweight in the world. Uh, not the other day, back in February, which he fought great against uh, Makashev. He almost pulled it out, right? But still, that's just one matchup. Style matchups are different. We don't know how he would do against Gamrat. We don't know how he would do against Gagey. You know, I get it. He's a Dagestani fighter. And the previous Dagestani fighter went through Poirier, went through Gagey, went through, you know, some other fighters. But this is a different Dagestani fighter. We don't know how he would do against these guys. I'd like to see it. But that's the way it works. You got to start with your own division first. He's yet to beat a top five guy other than Oliveira. And his next guy might even be Oliveira. So it would be these last four fights, Oliveira, Volk, Volk, Oliveira. Throw in Green and Hooker. And like I say, there's just not this huge, huge resume built up. But that said, I moved them to number two. So I slightly disagree with Daniel Cormier. Yeah, no, I like what you said as far as, you know, tap the brakes. Maybe even slam on it. Um, I don't even see any reason... 
you have to understand what Habib was and what he did and staying undefeated was pretty damn amazing. And what helped was just him going through the best guys that were available at the time. And uh, we just don't have that yet. Nobody's saying he's not going to get there. In fact, we all kind of feel he will. Well, we've all been very supportive of that. It's just it's just not there just now, not right now. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, I like to see Gagey because he's fresh. Let Oliveira take someone else. And if Oliveira wins, you got your rematch. I like to see Gagey. Oliver, if he wins, okay, I'll see the rematch. And then whoever the next young stallion is that's coming through, whether that's Gamrot or anyone else, okay. And then once we get there, sure, you know, now we'll be at the fourth title defense, and it may be time to say Makashev might be the greatest lightweight of all time. I don't know. He still has the one loss. Habib never lost. But he would have one more title defense. But we got we got a few more fights to go to get to that. Um, and hey, being number two to John Jones isn't the end of the world. I mean, <laughs> that guy's a stud too, man. Yeah. Uh, let's close with this. Dana White, he did an interview with Sports Illustrated. Somehow these words came out of his mouth. He was talking about Vince McMahon, and he says, you know, my history with Vince isn't a good one. He tried to fuck me so many times for no reason whatsoever, except to just fuck me. So he said a few things like that, but. He says now that they're under the same umbrella and he's had TKO, it's called, right? UFC and the WWE merger. Um, He's had about 20 conversations picking his brain and he went so far as to say that the guy is a savage, he's a killer, and even though there's a little bit of a past, he loves the guy. He's the Michael Jordan of the business world. And I knew a line like that could be picked up. And all I thought was, oh, man, for such a seasoned speaker, what was he thinking on that one? I mean, yeah, of course, McMahon did something pretty great in pro wrestling. Definitely a legend of combat sports or whatever. But has he never heard of Jeff Bezos and what Amazon's done or um, Bill Gates, you know, Mm -hmm. and all the other incredible billionaires out there who have just built massive businesses. You know, Michael Jordan, if you're going to be the Michael Jordan of something, I mean, you kind of have to be a clear-cut number one out there, you know, in and in the business world, give me a break. I don't know why he said that. Yeah, he probably misspoke with that one. Um, you know, it, it's actually interesting what's going on in the pro wrestling world right now is old Jordan there got put on the bench, you know, that this is the worst case scenario for Vince McMahon right now. He got taken off of creative control. Um, so it's kind of like he's being taken out to pasture at this point. But I, you know, man, I'd even argue like, don't get me wrong. What Vince McMahon has done has been pretty tremendous. And when you think about how long he's been doing it, a lot of people look at Vince McMahon and they, they forget that like there were years where he wasn't on camera. There were years where he was just behind the scenes and there were years where he was, he was actually the announcer, you know? So like he has been doing this for a very, very long time, keeping a business afloat like that. I I mean, honestly, he inherited a lot from his father. 
Um, but you have to give him his props for creating WrestleMania and all that and taking things to the next level. But I'd almost argue that Dana White has, has done just as as crazy in a short amount of time building an empire as well. So uh, it's cool that he looks up to Vince in that sense. But uh, hell, what old Dana's done has been pretty damn impressive as well. Dana White's the Michael Jordan of promotion MMA promotion. Mm-hmm. And Vince McMahon's the Michael Jordan of pro wrestling promotion. Yeah. But they're not, neither one's the Michael Jordan of the business world. Um, I'm just one of them geeks that checks out the top 400 on Forbes, you know, and then you just see what some people have been able to do. What was that guy's name? Tim Cook from Apple and Bill Gates from Microsoft. And I mean, um, but I would challenge that the guy that created Uber, the guy that created fucking, I don't know, Samsung or, you know, they're way in the hell ahead of it's man when it comes to business. I mean, even if you, you narrow it down to, um, to sports, right? Like look at Magic Johnson, Magic Johnson won a basketball championship. He's part of a baseball world series championship. And that was in the NFL. Like, that's pretty freaking amazing to own three teams in your lifetime, not to mention all the businesses on the side. Look at a guy like Shaq O'Neal and all the businesses that guy owns. Like, Even if you limit it to, to, to sports, there's so many people that are involved. You know how many uh, owners there are now that own multiple teams, like Premier League teams and NBA teams and pro football teams? It's, like, it's out of this world. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I guess it just cracked me up. It's just a chance to poke needles at Dana. He likes to poke fun at people, so why not let he can take a few every once in a while. All right, folks, we're gonna get on out of here. Thanks so much for always tuning in. Don't forget goes and I do spinning backlinks on Monday, uh noon Eastern, nine AM Pacific. Myself goes and a couple of our colleagues. We get together and discuss all the latest news in mixed martial arts. It's a live show that can be seen on YouTube or Facebook. And uh, you can go to the website and pick it up there. You can go to our YouTube page, youtube.com forward slash MMA Junkie Video, and it's there. Or you can go to our Facebook page, the official Junkie page, uh, which has like a million followers. So if you find it on Facebook, it's got a million followers. That's us. You can go there, participate, check out the chat room, all that good stuff. And, uh, yeah, you know, we'll be tuning in, watching the Fury and Ganu fight on Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. They're in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, so that's why the the time difference. I think they're 10 hours ahead. Mike Bond's out there covering that. He has some great interviews and some great pre-fight coverage of that huge event. He went straight from Abu Dhabi to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and he caught up with both Fury and Ganu today. So check that out. And uh, I guess that's pretty much it for this week. So we'll see you all on Monday for the next Junkie Radio show. And go out, be a champion. Is what I tell people all the time. Take care and uh, enjoy your weekend. We'll see you. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, 
human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.